You are listening to the Manverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 88. The Manverse Podcast is supported by Honeycomb Credit. Honeycomb Credit is here to support your small business during these uncertain times. As a leader in crowdfunded small business loans, Honeycomb gives you the opportunity to raise community capital from your customers, fans, and the network of Honeycomb investors. Sign up and get connected with one of their funding experts by going to maniversaga.com forward slash honeycomb. If you're a local game store owner and need a funding, working with Honeycomb Credit creates a way for your existing community to invest in the future of your business. And if you want to support the local game store in your area, let them know how Honeycomb Credit can help. Go to maniversaga.com forward slash honeycomb to sign up and get started today. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me one Shannon Ebbett. Shannon Ebbett is the co-owner with her husband, Vince, of the Mana Board Game Tavern in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's a steampunk-inspired venue offering a variety of adult beverages combined with a library of board games for their patrons to enjoy. Uh, the Man at Board Game Tavern was conceived with the idea of bringing great games, great drinks, and great people all together into a welcoming atmosphere, and you add in a hefty amount of passionate geekdom, and every night is game night. And that is from their website, Direct. That's their uh, description, and I think it's a good one. So welcome, Shannon, to the Manverse Podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. How are you doing tonight? I am, I'm doing well tonight. It was a slow day, but I'm looking forward to a better night. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hopefully we can uh, brighten up the evening a little bit. So we're going to talk about something fun, hopefully. Anyways, uh, let's, before we get into, you know, what's going on right now and, you know, how we kind of connected, let's, uh, let's chat a little bit about how you kind of got into this whole mana board game tavern business thing. So uh, you told me before we, you know, got started on this whole thing that uh, you'd recently opened uh, just a few months ago early yep. october i believe you mentioned yep so prior to the uh opening day you know how did you get into the business why why did you get into the business um well i've been in the bar business for 20 years and i love it it's really just like where i shine and i've also been collecting board games for my entire life so when it when it got to a point where my board game collection had outgrown my storage capabilities, oh. I, I kind of mentioned to my boss at the time as a joke that I should open a board game bar because there aren't any in Pittsburgh. Um, pretty much every major city has at least one, sometimes more, uh, board game bars and cafes, but Pittsburgh doesn't have any. So just like I said, as a joke, I said, hey, I should, uh, I should open a board game bar. And, and she says, actually, that's, uh, that's a really good idea. You should do that. <laughs> and, and so I said, oh, okay. We started sort of kind of throwing the idea back and forth between Vince and I and decided, yeah, that actually does sound like a really good idea and started scouting out locations. And it, it didn't take real long to go from an idea to an a actual concept of, all right, let's move forward and do this. So what was the uh, the process like of, of developing this? Like you went from the idea of I'm going to open this board game bar. So uh, 
Like, did you put together a business plan? Did you write anything formal out? Or was it just, you know, okay, let's go find a place and then make this happen. Uh, we actually did everything completely out of order. Oh, okay. We, we started off of, hey, this is a good idea. Let's find a place. And that was the first thing we did after deciding to do it, is we scouted out locations and found a place. Um, and then once we had found the place, then we went into looking for financing. And we did um, a Kickstarter campaign. It was actually our, our initial um, infusion of cash. We did a Kickstarter campaign for $10,000 just to see if you know, the idea would take hold kind of get a feel for if it's something that the neighborhood wanted. Um, so when that was successful, then we moved forward with the location and then continued looking for more funding to be able to, you know, build on what we had started. And that's when we wrote the, you know, the business plan and the, and worked with the um, University of Pittsburgh with their um, MBA department um, to like help get the business plan written, uh, to do the financial projections, things like that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I've got a whole ton of questions. <laughs> so the first one that I was thinking about that I wanted to explore was, uh, like I know there are, the traditional game store model definitely does not include uh, alcohol. Right? It's not a, they're not usually bars, right? You're right. coming at it from the bar that has games rather than a game store that has, you know, offering beverages. Right. So how, I know it's, it's different from state to state and area to area, but like how hard was it or how difficult was it to uh, go through all of the, uh, you know, the regulatory process of getting like a liquor license and all of that, uh, all of that stuff? That um, we were very lucky on because it was incredibly easy for us. The location that we found was already a bar. Mm. So it had a liquor license already. Um, so when we got that location, we also got the liquor license to go with it. Uh, easy peasy. Um, yeah, it was, it was very easy for us. It's not always the case, but for us, it was very easy to get the liquor license. Um, and apparently we had made a good enough impression on the neighborhood um, approval committee because when, at least here, when you get a liquor license, you have to post the temporary, which like sometimes you'll see places with that bright orange sign. That's a temporary license that gives the neighborhood an opportunity to dispute it to say they don't want you there. Um, and we never had issues with that. It, it just sailed through. It was very smooth for us that was one of the things that we were very lucky in right. well, that's definitely an advantage early on too right you don't have to spend a lot of money or waste a lot of time pushing that through for a location that doesn't have it already right all right fair enough and then another question i wanted to talk about your kickstarter for a little bit uh, just kind of explore that because that's an interesting way of kind of validating what you're doing right so like you said it's a good way to say hey does the neighborhood actually care about this enough to put some money in, you know, where their mouth is? Not just say, oh, that's a great idea. And then, you know, as soon as you launch it, you know, they don't, they don't show up. Right. That's the case. Like, when someone's willing to take some cash out of the wallet and actually give it to you, it's a good sign that they probably, you know, care about the business. Uh, so in terms of the Kickstarter, uh, did you do anything to you know, make it special? Like, did, was it just the idea? Like, did you create any videos? How did the, how did the whole thing 
kind of uh, play out for you? Uh, we we really didn't do a whole lot special for it. We, you know, typed it up with the idea of what we wanted to do. Uh, the idea being that everybody we know has drunken board game nights um, at home, but who wants to clean up beforehand and then again afterwards and have to supply all the things and when you can just have a place that'll do all that for you which with basically what we built on was the idea of hosting drunken board game nights without actually having to host and <laughs> that was the majority of what our kickstarter campaign was you know explaining who vince and i are you know, as as a couple, you know how we met and how we decided to do all the all of the uh, mana board game tavern adventure as it became. <laughs> yeah, and then we had a just like I, I posted like a live chat similar to this, but before you know Zoom was a big thing, and basically just what we're doing here. It was just me talking about what we were going to do and why, and giving people the opportunities to ask questions. And, and that was enough. And that was enough. Yeah, that was enough to get the buy-in to get people interested. Yeah, we had we had quite a few um, rewards for our Kickstarter backers um, of various levels. You know, we started off low-level ones. They would get a coaster with our logo on it and a shot glass with our logo on it, and, um, all the way up to lifetime members who people who got lifetime memberships got glasses with their names engraved on them. And every time they come, their first drink of the night is on the house. Um, Pretty good deal. Yeah. And we had the opportunity that somebody could have um, their name put on it like a copper plate on a chair, that that would be their spot. They always had a place at our bar. <laughs> so how many, uh, how many backers did you end up getting? Um, I think we got something around 500 backers. Um, we got 24 eight lifetime members uh, and then everything else is just scattered throughout tiers below that not bad that's that's a that's definitely a good sign when 500 people give you a whole pile of money yes. even before you open a business that's a good sign for sure uh, is there anything you would do differently like thinking back now um on opening a place in general or the kickstarter well either one either one i think it's both they're both interesting enough uh, questions to to explore um i think we should we should have planned out the kickstarter better than we did it we really just flew by the seat of our pants for all of it just like, oh this sounds like a great idea let's type that up and throw it in there too <laughs> uh, <laughs> we really could have planned it out better than we did but that's that's really a aim for a little bit higher dollar amount maybe no i don't think i would have aimed for a higher dollar amount i think the the amount that we set was was good um, I, I found out that as far as in general Kickstarter backers go, the Pittsburgh region has the lowest number of crowdfunding donators in the country. <laughs> Pittsburghers don't like to give out their money for nothing or for what they perceive as nothing. They don't like the risk. Business. Yeah, they don't, they're not big on taking that kind of risk. So we actually are very lucky that we got what we did because people in our area just are not known for um, crowdfunding in general. So I think the amount that we had was 
was exactly what it should have been. Was I just I would have planned it out better. We would have had more visuals than we did. As far as opening a place, just in general, as I said, we did everything in the exact wrong order. Uh, we didn't want to sign paperwork for you know the location and the license and everything like that if we didn't know for sure that we would be able to get funding. So we went and we got all of our loans right up front. Like very first thing, as soon as the Kickstarter was successful and we nailed down our location, we immediately started getting loans to be able to pay for all you know the equipment and the starting up liquor and food and everything like that. We, we ended up with a whole just comedy of events that delayed our opening for two and a half years. Wow. <laughs> the the building that we initially signed on ended up collapsing. Well, maybe it's a good thing before you didn't get we, in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we were in, the building collapsed, had to be rebuilt from the dirt up. It's an entirely brand new construction. Um, this one's not going to collapse. This one <laughs> sure better not collapse <laughs> with all that's been put into it. But in the meantime, for two and a half years, we were stuck using the loan money to pay the loans because we had taken the loans out right away. Yeah. So like that would be the one thing that I would say to absolutely wait on, get your funding when you need it, not preemptively (laughs) because good ways to find money. It's a matter of what you do with it when you, once you have it. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's uh, that sounds like fun. I don't think I've ever heard anybody who had uh, like a two and a half year wait time from when they were ready to go to when they were able to go. And, and for two and a half years, we constantly heard six to eight weeks. How long is it going to be to fix this? Six to eight <sighs> weeks. Okay. Six to eight weeks for two and six a half to eight years. months. Six to eight months. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> so it's, that's quite the origin story. So you finally got the place set up. You know, two, the two and a half years go by. You got the new building. Everything's ready to go. You finally open your doors. What happens? Uh, we we did really well just from the from the get go. I was kind of surprised. Um, we started off our very first day was just friends and family to try to help us work through the kinks. We started off with a very minimal staff. We only had two employees um, and myself. So just to you know, have friends and family come in order everything on the menu. I want to make sure that everything works, everything comes through properly. And then, you know, we did that, had a great time. Two days later, we had the Kickstarter backer party. Everybody who had donated to our Kickstarter got an invitation to a private pre-opening event. And they got to come and essentially do the same thing. Run through the menu, let us know if there were any problems, get first dibs on all the games because at that point we had probably 150 games that hadn't even been opened yet so first chance to touch the new things uh, and then two days after that we opened officially and it it started off really well just from the beginning so you had a good five months six months of uh running when did you guys encounter the whole lockdown when did that really start to affect you Weekend of St. Patrick's Day. Oh, perfect. 
one of the biggest bar days of the year, that was the first weekend that we were shut down. So we, we had five, yeah, five months, almost exactly five months. And then everything just cold shut down. Rough, rough stuff. So what has your experience of the lockdown been like, how have you been dealing with the whole situation, uh, not being able to operate? And you, you also explained that because you're designated as a bar, not a retail location, you've got some uh, special restrictions that uh, maybe other game stores don't have to deal with. Right. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been doing a nice little tap dance to try to work around the constantly changing regulations. Um, it seems like every two weeks, there's a new order that gets handed down of what you're allowed to do and what you're not. So um, technically, due to our liquor license, we are listed as a restaurant. So we were allowed to stay open for takeout orders only. And so we started doing that. We adjusted our menu uh, to have food that could go. Started doing takeout beer sales, which we had not been doing before. Um, and then, yeah, just started kind of limping along that way and then got shut down completely. Everything was entirely shut down. Uh, we got to open back up briefly in June. We, our, our county, they change everything by county in, in Pennsylvania, was allowed to open up for 50% seating capacity and essentially everything else and spacing, you know, yeah. social distancing. Um, and then basically everything else was allowed to be as it was, and everybody was required to wear masks. Um, that lasted for about three weeks, <laughs> and then they said, nope, we have too many new outbreaks, all the bars are shut down again. Uh, so it's really just been, you know, hopping from one foot to the other, trying to keep up with what we're allowed to do and what we're able to do. Right now, I'm working on designing a better menu, because the new regulations that just started today are that we are allowed to be open with 25% capacity, but all alcohol sales have to accompany a meal. So now I have to create meal-worthy food so that people will come and eat dinner and drink and play games. Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times. You get real creative real fast. Yeah, and you also mentioned that uh, you can't rely on selling anything other than the alcohol right that you are restricted from you can't do a retail kind of sales thing right. with the games portion that you do have or anything like that there's there's right. no wiggle room there nope everything is very very strict with the um, liquor laws in pennsylvania so yeah i'm not allowed to sell games i'm not allowed to sell anything that's not directly related to bar or restaurant um, like business directly. So like I can sell merchandise, mugs and t-shirts and stuff like that. And I do, uh, but I can't sell like retail things. So it's, it's entirely based on our food and alcohol sales. Um, luckily our, our landlords have been very helpful. Uh, that I would definitely suggest anybody who's already in business, just don't be afraid to talk to everybody. Talk to your lenders, talk to your electric company to talk to your landlords if you have them or your mortgage holders or whatever talk to people because everybody's in the same boat and everybody's trying to help everybody out the worst they can say is no definitely i 100 percent agree 
the worst thing they can say is no. And like the best thing that you can get is maybe you find a middle ground or some sort of a solution instead of, of uh, just kind of getting flushed down the drain. Right. So is there any, any light at the end of the tunnel for your area right now? Oh, that is really hard to say. Like I said, they're starting to allow us to open back up in very, very limited capacity. Like I said, 25% um, occupancy, including staff and spacing and restrictions on what we're allowed to do, which really cuts down on our availability. Uh, when we only have four tables available, it's hard to you know, keep making that same amount of money that we were. Yeah, absolutely. Months ago. I guess you'd also run into the the issue that restaurants are having in a lot of ways, right? That uh, once you have reduced capacity, people don't know if they can come in. It's kind of, well, I don't know if there's going to be a spot or not. I might just not be able to come in because it's packed or something like that. So you've got kind of like the, it's almost, I don't want to say it's permanent, but it's been reduced from the outset of people even just being interested. It's kind of like it's been three or four months and the whole go out to eat, go out to drink, you know, go be social uh, instinct is kind of been suppressed. So it's, it's, it, it's slow I, to I wake really up. It has. Um, people are very excited to be able to go out. They're so tired of being locked up and kept away from each other that they really, really, really just want to be able to go out. They want some sort of normalcy. Yes. Uh, there's also the fear that everybody else wants to do the same thing. And so then we're going to have people who aren't following the rules, who aren't maintaining their distance, who aren't wearing masks. And um, so it becomes a fear driven um, thing. that People aren't going to go out because they don't want to take that risk, which I completely understand. Yeah. Basing your people night on fear to... is not a, not a recipe for a good time though, right? Right. <laughs> Um, the, one of the ways that we're trying to get around that is we've instituted a reservation system that you can just go on our website and say, hey, I want, me and three of my friends are going to come in at six o'clock and you can make a reservation and get your table for you and your friends at that time. That way you know that there's availability. Um, we do everything we can to reassure our customers that we are following all of the regulations that all the tables are well spaced out. Everybody's required to wear masks, hand sanitizer stations everywhere. Uh, after games are handled, they are quarantined for three days because the current standard, it's constantly changing as we learn more, as the uh, scientists learn more about uh, the COVID virus. But currently it is that the virus can survive for 24 hours on cardboard and up to three days on plastic or metal. So just to be safe, we just quarantine every game for three days before it's allowed to be played again. And that's, that's helping us a lot, um, having that availability and that um, transparency in what we're doing to keep our customers safe. Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking uh, communication's probably very important right now. Because I'm sure as confusing it is for you, you know, just the changing regulations and all that other stuff, uh, it's, you're probably more on top of it than the average person as to what's oh available and what's allowed and what's, what the newest rules are and all that stuff. So 
uh, staying in touch with your community and telling them this is exactly what we're doing to make sure that uh, you know we're all staying safe, right? I'm 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 guessing that's very helpful and probably uh, very reassuring to the customers that are actually coming in. It really is, and it's entirely new ground because it's things like. Oh, we're washing our hands. We were always washing our hands, but now we have to tell people, like we have to make it seen that you're washing your hands and we're wiping down tables in between customers. We were always wiping down tables in between customers, but now we have to make it known so that people can be reassured that we really are uh, trying to have their safety. Yeah, keep everything clean and sanitary and all that good stuff. It's hey, kind we, of, we now have to announce the things that we we're already doing in the first place. <laughs> now yeah. we have to announce. It is interesting how much of it is psychological, not just, you know, like the fact that the act was happening. And you, we all know, like, you all presume that, you know, that we, you go to a restaurant, the people are washing their hands, they're doing the cleans, they're cleaning everything. They're, they're generally cleaning the, 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 uh, the venue as they go along. It's, it's a presumption. You hope that's the case. But now it's like, no, no, <laughs> you have to go out there and perform it. You have to reveal it to the customers because they need to feel <laughs> like it's uh, like it's happening. They need they need that that uh, psychological reinforcement. Everything's gonna be okay. We got it got it covered. Gonna beat the beat the virus together. Very much <laughs> or all that. Okay, so let's uh, let's chat about Honeycomb and the campaign that you ran recently over their platform. Uh, so let people know. How did you discover them? That's a good, good spot to start. How did they, uh, or how did you find them? Um, I actually found out about them because one of our other uh, local game stores had used them for um, a very successful bond campaign. And that was the first time I had heard of them. Um, and then because of that successful campaign, it kind of became a, a big thing in, in our area that, hey, there, there are other options. It's not because um, gift certificates are great. The problem comes in when, you know, if I sell $5,000 in gift certificates because people want to help and they want to make sure that we're going to be around when the, the quarantine lifts. And then as soon as the quarantine lifts, people come in and cash in $5,000 worth of gift certificates at the same mm -hmm. time. Um, it's essentially taking today's problem and pushing it off till tomorrow where it's still going to be a problem. Um, so these... Um, the loyalty bonds campaign really created a way for people to give that help that they wanted to without uh, really creating a, an equally big problem down the line because the as the of this avalanche started, of people coming in and spending all this money and needing all this stuff right away right. it paces it, it out and gives you a little bit of time to keep the cash flow going right right yes so with the the loyalty bonds uh, as they mature, that you get up to it, it matures out to 130% of what you started with. Uh, so if you did $1,000 by the end of two years, you will have received $1,300 in gift certificates paid out every six months. Mm -hmm. you know, that that was a good driving force on it is that you get more than you pay for. Yeah, it's a great value for the bond purchaser for the supporter right right and right. it's a big for us because like i said it spaces it out and it gives us an extra chance every six months to remind all these people we're here here's our new things this is what we've done in the last six months every six months we send out another um, payment on the 
on the loyalty bonds. Uh, so it, it really just helps all around for, for our customers, for our sustainability and for our kind of advertising and memorability. Yeah. Well, those customers are now going to be your customers for at least the next two years, right? They're not going anywhere. They're not going to waste that money. They, they got to get in there and make some use out of it. Right. So I would hope. And I'm sure they're going to be buying more than they, you know, initially uh, put in, right. They're going to keep. Oh yeah. Keep spending money with you. Uh, yeah. Cause the minimum you can buy the loyalty bonds is uh, $50. So then every six months you get $13, like 13 and a quarter, I think is your payout. Maybe it might be a little bit more than that, but it's something around there. And that's going to give you what, two drinks. So it's, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed that if somebody comes in with those um, every six months, they're going to spend more than that one gift certificate is valued at, at that time. Yeah, for sure. So what was the process of the campaign like? So we explored the Kickstarter at the beginning. So this is for people who don't know, obviously, because this is a relatively new thing as well. Uh, Honeycomb is kind of like a, uh, it's a crowdfunding platform. is a way to uh, support the businesses that you actually care about in your community. And they, uh, one of the programs is the loyalty bond, right? So you buy a gift certificate, essentially, and it's paid out over two years, you get 130% of the value that you buy in. The, uh, the business obviously gets the money once the campaign closes and you support them. They, they get the advantage of having the cash up front and able to, uh, you know, to float their business, to expand their inventory, all that good stuff, whatever they need to do. And then you get the extra money as the patron over the course of the next two years. So when you create the campaign as the business owner, uh, what did you do to like get it out there to get people to support you? Uh, well, we really almost everything we did was through Facebook. Um, we we worked with uh, a gentleman with Honeycomb to help us get the campaign created and uh, everything put together properly. What we should add on to it and whatnot. And then once it was live, we just we put it up on Facebook. We let everybody know. We had all of our friends share it around. That was. The majority of what we did with it was just every every couple days we would make a post about it on our Facebook page. Hey, don't forget, you can get these things. Will help us out a lot. And we did. It also helped that our neighborhood, our neighborhood in Pittsburgh is called the North Side, and the um, it was like the North Side Community Services had had learned about Honeycomb and offered the first 100 businesses to get accepted as a honeycomb campaign in Pittsburgh and to meet their goals would get an extra um, assistance from the Northside community service. Um, and that really helped because then that helped get the word out as well, not just for our campaign, but for other business, local business campaigns. Uh, they, they constantly sent out notifications of, hey, this business has started their campaign and this is what they do and this is where they are. And, um, and that went out in um, email blasts. And so that, that helped a lot as well. Cool. Uh, how long did the process take? Like when you got contacted to getting the campaign finally launched, how long did that take? Like a day or two? Like it was really, it was really quick. Quick turnaround, all right. And you didn't need to create anything in particular? I'm just curious as to, from a business owner's perspective, 
you know, who might be considering, oh, that sounds like a good idea. What are they, what will they expect in terms of, uh, you know, what they need to bring to the table or is most of it taken care of by Honeycomb? Um, I believe most of it is taken care of by Honeycomb, like just the, like the creation of the campaign itself. Like so we were, we were assigned um, some assistance from a local person that works with Honeycomb and he just let us know what we needed to put in the campaign, which basically was take everything that we've just talked about, you and I have just talked about mm -hmm. over Tell your story. Long talking, and condense it down into three sentences <laughs> <laughs> and send us a picture and we'll put it up. And that, and that was it. And it was up and it's really hard to condense your entire story into three sentences. But uh, yeah, and then it was up and running and live and they helped us they helped us out a bit too by making Facebook posts. Facebook is a very fantastic uh, marketing tool. It's a great way to get your message out. <laughs> it is. But so then they were making posts about it and um, also kind of tagging other local related businesses, other game stores and game supply stores, play, uh, places that do like little plastic minis for games and stuff like that. We have a sure. couple of those here and kind of, you know, tagging all of these other businesses in it and, kind of helping to spread the word. So Honeycomb was very, very good to work with, um, and very helpful every step of the way. Awesome. That's good. It's great to hear. How much money did the campaign raise? We got $4,000. We started off with a, a goal of 1000 which we actually reached in the first 24 hours. And then um, over the course of the next month, we ended up with $4,000, which is going to hopefully help us bring back our employees as soon as possible. That was the that was the goal of the honeycomb was to help us to get our employees back. Fair enough. Cover payroll for a little while and uh, hopefully get the ball rolling and get the doors open again sooner rather than later. Yes, God. Sooner rather than later. Any advice you'd have some for somebody who's considering, like for possibly working with them? No, no people. <laughs> That's, that's the advice I would have because that honeycomb is really great to work with. The only advice I would have is have ways to spread the word, get it out there and have, be ready for questions about what is a loyalty balance. Mm, okay. Because I mean like older people remember loyalty bonds from back in the day. Like my, my grandmother used to buy us you know, maturing bonds when we were kids that's not really a thing that people do anymore. So younger generations don't know what those are. So be prepared to explain to people what it is to buy a $500 bond right now, but you don't actually get $500, not for a while anyway, like that it has to take time to mature. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's a bit of a, bit of a new concept to uh, what people usually expect. Like it's not just, you're not just buying a gift card or a gift certificate. It's not, it's not the same thing. It's like you're you're investing in the future of the business, right? That's kind of kind of the angle, right? Did you have any problems, or did you have any people being like, "Well, you know, it sounds good, but how do I know I'll be able to get my money's worth?" You know, like what happens if stuff doesn't go well? You know, like that sort of thing. Uh, personally, we did not, uh, but that is actually addressed uh, with Honeycomb in each of the campaigns that you know, it, it is an investment and with all investments, there are risks that if, if throughout the course of everything, the business goes under kind of the risk you take. 
kind of at a lot. Yeah, you're kind of out of luck. It's just the risk you take in trying to support a business and uh, in, in trying to get this investment near the uh, 130% return on investment. So we, we personally did not have an issue with that, but I would assume that it does come up because like I said, it is uh, addressed in every honeycomb campaign. Sure. I, I guess that's a good sign that you have the confidence of your community and your customers that they're like, yeah, hundred percent. I'll give you some money. No problem. I'm going to get it back. <laughs> I believe in you. Repeatedly, repeatedly. We have had our, our, uh, the support of our customers nonstop from three years ago. It was actually three years ago last week that the, um, construction started on the bar. So for the last three years, we've had nothing but constant support from all of our uh, friends and neighbors. That's great to hear because I think that's what uh, that's what business owners in general need right now. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough out there. Uh, got any advice for uh, game store owners, business owners in general who might be facing the same sorts of situation and you know, feeling the pinch. Use every possible resource you can get your hands on. That's that's all I've got. Use everything. Because right now we need every single bit of help that we can get. So apply for grants, apply for loans if you can afford it, ask for help. And reach out to your community. And reach out to your communities. Your communities want you to be there. They will do everything they can. Everybody's hurting. Everybody in your community is hurting. But we, we have seen that people really do come together and do everything possible to help each other out. So definitely reach out to your communities because they, they want you there. As a game store, you are valuable to the community. I think on that note, that positive note, thinking to the future, you know, things will get better. We're going to make it. And, you know, with their help of the communities, you know, maybe game stores can make it as well and we'll make it out the other side. I think this is a good place to, to wrap it up and, you know, end on an optimistic note. So uh, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and, and having a chat with me. I really appreciate it. It's a little bit late now, but, uh, you know, thanks for coming on and sharing your story and, and letting everybody know what, uh, what's going on in your world. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks for having me, Tom, and have a great night. All right, that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I want to thank Shannon again for coming on the show and sharing her story with us. I really appreciate it. And if you are a game store owner who is uh, intrigued by some of the things that we talked about and maybe want to check out Honeycomb for yourself to see uh, what they can do to help your business get through these tricky, difficult times... Uh, then I definitely recommend you check them out. You can go to maniversesaga.com forward slash honeycomb, and that will take you uh, directly to Honeycomb's landing page where you can find out a little bit more about how they've helped other game store owners uh, keep their business going and, and help them raise capital directly from their community. Uh, it's a really great service. You should definitely check it out. maniversesaga.com forward slash honeycomb. And that is it for this episode of the podcast. I've been your host, Tom Traplin. And I will talk to you in the next episode of the podcast. Have a great night, everybody.